0: episode 194 dr richard winters mayo clinic the room went from smiles to there was some anger
1: i saw some tears i saw there was like a, a vein in the forehead that was popping up in some of the individuals
0: i'm mark Rabin. this is my favorite mistake To learn more about Dr. Winters, his book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake194. As always, thanks for listening. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. And joining us today is Dr. Richard Winters. He is an emergency physician at the Mayo Clinic. He's the author of the book, You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons from Mayo Clinic. So he is the Director of Leadership Development for the Mayo Clinic Care Network. He's an executive coach and he provides coaching for Mayo Clinic leaders. So it'd be good to talk about that today. He graduated from the Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine in 1994, returning to the Mayo Clinic in 2015. So previously he had roles, including being a managing partner of, and I'll wanna ask you about this later, a Democratic Physician Group, um, department chair of an emergency department and president of an 800-physician medical staff. So again, the title of the book is You're the Leader, Now What? You can learn more uh, about Dr. Winters and his work and his book at richardwinters.com um, slash book. So with that, uh, Dr. Winters, thanks for, for joining us here today. How are you?
1: Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: So there's uh, a lot to talk about. You know, Mayo Clinic, of course, uh, a world-famous, um, you know, clinical, clinically excellent organization. There have been other books published um, about leadership at Mayo Clinic. And so I think there'll be Really, it'll be really exciting to explore what you've learned, what you're teaching. I think there'll be a lot that'll be transferable for people working in in other industries. So I hope hope you would agree with that opportunity for learning. People don't have to hit stop play if they're not a doctor or not a healthcare leader, right?
1: Exactly. Totally. Yeah. The nice thing is that the, all the problems we see in healthcare, I think we can apply across across the board. And so I think everyone will find something helpful.
0: Well, good. So uh, we, we will get back to that, but as as we always do. Um, you know, I think it's a good, good opportunity to explore. You know, we're we're all human, including doctors. We all make mistakes. And uh, you all want to hear from your career, the different things you've done. What would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: My favorite mistake. So as you said, I went to medical school at Mayo in, in the early 90s. And then I practiced for 20 years in this private practice setting. Where, as you said, I was a managing partner. I was a, the president of medical staff. I was a CEO of this startup uh, accountable care organization. And when I returned to Mayo in 2015, really excited to come back to an organization like aligned with values, doing a really good job. And when I when I got here, it was a little bit. I'm a, a mid career physician. Uh, I had an MBA. Had this kind of different sort of. Uh, group of talent, I guess, that, that was not common for the group at the time. And they were wondering what to do with me. And, and so the, the chair of my department said, hey, why don't you become the finance chair? And I said, sure, I'll become the finance chair. And so during the first meeting as I, when I was a finance chair, I had an opportunity. It's kind of weird in medicine. The way that we bill is based on how the doctor documents the care. And so I can take care of a patient with a heart attack. I can take care of patients who've had trauma and those sorts of things. But if I'm missing like one element of a physical exam that may not have even been important for the care of the patient or one element of a, of a, did you have a, a sore throat or, or did your toe hurt? That sort of a thing, then our billing would get, would get hurt. And so I, in my past life before Mayo, I knew how to connect physicians with this documentation, which at at times seemed kind of dumb. And so I'm in this meeting, and the I I had heard that people wanted their data and so what I did was I distributed this data um, to all the people within the meeting and and you could see mark if if you were there you could see how you compared to me and and how you compared with your other colleagues. People were really excited as I stepped up to the room, but I noticed that as I handed out this piece of paper that had their information transparently on it that the room went from smiles to there was some anger. I saw some tears. I saw there was like a, a vein in the forehead that was popping up in some of the individuals. And so what I thought was my baby I had, I had presented actually turned out to be kind of like a, a really dirty diaper that was uh. not, I did <laughs> not approach this in the right way. Yeah. And yeah. very painful. Uh, as I came to Mayo, one of the weird things is that you don't sign a contract. It's a handshake. And so uh-huh. I had just brought my kids from uh-huh. California to Minnesota and I saw my life flash before my eyes in that moment.
0: Gosh. So, uh, what, I mean, it's a very, it's an interesting scenario. And I mean, I, you know, I've, I've got some, you know, follow-up questions for sure. You hear the rest of the story, but it, it's interesting. I want to explore a little bit. It sounds like part of, of the origin of this whole situation is what you might describe in a way as mistakes in the charting inadvertent. Like I left something out or it could be a lack of knowledge. I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about, about that situation. You're like how much of it is not knowing versus oops, I didn't do the thing I knew I should do because we're human when it comes to that charting and the impact on billing.
1: Yeah. It's, and so the, the, the way it's set up is the government has tried to figure out how to, the insurance companies try to figure out how do we pay for medical care. And so people have gotten together in a room and they've, they've started to put it like a recipe, like checkboxes. And it just so happens those checkboxes don't necessarily always correlate with good care. And so you have a group of physicians who's documenting good care and they miss may miss a checkbox, which really... May not be that pertinent in the moment for the care of the patient, and so how to connect these two things, and so there may have, there are mistakes that were made on on the side of the individuals as as we're documenting and seeing patient by patient by patient and providing good care, um, but in this scenario, the big mistake was me and the way I approached this room of of colleagues based on what I had thought uh, was wanted quite yeah. incorrectly,
0: yeah. So it, it sounds like part. Uh, I mean, you know, the data you had was correct. It was the mistake like one way of describing it? Was it a mistake to be so transparent? Was it a mistake to show the data to everybody at the same time instead of doing it, let's say, individually?
1: Yeah. So where I had been before, it was I had it had been about transparency, and so everyone could see everything. Open book. That was a the way. There's positives about that um, because you can see what your data is. There's negatives about that because as people see data, sometimes they're interpreted incorrectly, and you know people are making decisions in ways that aren't so informed. But I like the, the transparency. As I came into Mayo, and people are very transparent about the care of the patient. Um, in, in terms of the finance stuff, though, what I found was is that after I kind of uh, you know processed this towards the end, was there was this worry that by presenting this this finance oriented data. That it was going to reduce the doctors to basically commodities. Now, there are documentation machines. They were going to, that we were in some way going to use this data to actually increase the billing on patients unneeded, that this was going to hurt actually the care of the patient overall. Uh, some were concerned that this was going to like, so, okay, now you're showing us the numbers. How, how about research? We, we do all this research here. Let's see the numbers for that. Or uh, how about teaching? Maybe I'm not a documenting or I'm not at, at such a high level as others, because what I'm doing is I'm teaching more. And so there's a whole layer of things that I had not considered in going into the room. Yeah.
0: So what so you described the body language mm. and, um, it sounds like you read the room really quickly, but then like what, what happened like right in that moment? And then were, were, were there any follow-up discussions from right. like the department yeah. chair or feedback yeah, or a scolding or like what, I'm, I'm curious on what, what, what happened?
1: Yeah. So what do you do? Right. So in those moments, and so as I work with leaders, I think there's a couple common things that people do. And one is um, you, you sit down and kind of pretend it didn't happen and hope that it goes away. Um, didn't do that. Another common thing is something I call the cognitive headlock, where I'm going to say, okay, you know, I, I understand, I understand you're concerned, but I've already thought about your concerns. And, uh, you know, you're like, you're concerned because of this, but I've already thought of this and you're incorrect because of this. And based on my experience, that's how things are going to go. Thankfully, I didn't do either of those things. Basically, in the moment, as I saw my life, I kind of flashed before my eyes. Yeah, I, I just so what's going on here, I noticed that this is upsetting mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Um, some people were happy. Uh, ironically, those people had done very well in comparison to colleagues. Um, but for those that were concerned, I just try to try to understand what was going on and, and gain these perspectives, and then understand in the moment that okay, this is uh, I made a mistake here, and so what we ended up doing was then taking it aside and then working on this this uh, this process kind of with a. Understanding more of the shared perspective of what was going on in the room, and so so no decisions made at that time. And and I got to say that, and I, I think a lot of leaders experience I hope that other leaders experience I mean, it was actually very very painful for me. Like I said, I'd uprooted my family. Um, I and, and that evening, I remember I'm, it was it was like a montage in a bad movie where it was like raining outside, <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. I'm like going for a walk, and I'm listening to a sad song, and it was really very difficult for me, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was hard. But even more difficult was that I could see that I had like really put others, my colleagues, into distress mm-hmm. over something that I thought was going to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. But it was all based on my my approach.
0: Yeah. You know, and I've I've had, I mean, there's there's a theme I can think of at least one other guest who in a totally different context where their favorite mistake story was having um, you know, the right information that should have been maybe from a purely Logical perspective, like the facts are the facts, the data are the data. They were correct, but how how we show it, um, you know. Then there's emotion, and we, you know, it, it would be a mistake, I think, to say, well, you know, don't get this shouldn't be emotional. Well, we're you know humans, yeah, we're complex. We we right. we, we we have um, emotion, but I mean, would you agree with the general, like, just to jump a little bit to leadership coaching? There's there's sort of a common phrase i'm I'm curious if, if if you think it's true of like you know this idea of praise publicly criticize privately that if that data felt like criticism to those who were maybe in the bottom of of the scale um how, i mean do do you do you give that kind of advice or is it is that like you know generalization that's maybe not always true
1: yeah I think I think in this situation would have been better for me to work with the group about how would you like to see this information? And then and then go with what the group thought, and and the group would come together and, and decide. And what I did was I did based on what I had used before and had worked in previously without going. And so, how could I have presented the data? Certainly, transparently showing everything. You know, just opening up the books. Another thing I could have done is just I could have given an individual their score, and then I could have like blinded all the other names of everyone else so they could see how they sat. No one else would see that. They could see how they did. I could just show them their score without showing anything else. You know, or we could just discuss it, maybe do some teaching and then show scores. So lots of different ways of approaching it. Mm -hmm. I think that in this sort of situation, and and certainly now I would be more asking the group. So what's going to be most helpful here?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate you sharing that reflection, that learning. I mean, I appreciate or you're saying in the moment in that meeting, it sounds like you you didn't get uh, a defensive, you didn't go on the counterattack. I appreciate you know asking questions of like help me understand. Like I've I've learned being around people in healthcare that 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 can be a really helpful if if not disarming phrase. Help help me understand. Right. You no, know, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying but you know kind of framing it in terms of you know I think it's good to ask like what what what's what what's happening here and and then secondly, it sounds like you made a pretty direct admission here of you know, um, I made a mistake, like to acknowledge that I think can be helpful. What What, what are your thoughts on that for, for this situation? Or even, you know, kind of generally speaking, if you're coaching somebody who's made a leadership mistake?
1: Yeah, I think that that's it. And it, and it's, you know, mistake, I think, is one way of saying it, but I've discovered some part of this really complex situation that I hadn't seen before. Um, And so acknowledging that I think is really important. And you know, as an emergency physician, I go and I I take a history and I do an exam and then I I write an, what's called an order. You know, it's very mm-hmm. much like mm-hmm. and I, I I take care of patients in moments and I know what needs to be done. But and you'd think that that would be kind of command and control. But even in those sorts of situations, having to be open to the fact that as I walk out of the room, the nurse has a very different perspective. The paramedics have a very different perspective. The, some other family member comes in. Some new bit of information comes in. And, and so how to just be open to that complexity in, in, in those times to be able to work through it, I think
0: it's important. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a lot of hierarchy in healthcare, care. Right. Um, within a field. I mean, you have, you know, residents and attendings. There's hierarchy within a physician group. And then you have clinical hierarchy. Uh, you know, physicians, nurses. There's, there's kind of this traditional um, hierarchy. Um, you know, what, just kind of general question. Like, what, what, are, what are some things from a leadership perspective to, to to create more of a team environment where, like you said, this this command and control order yeah. might appropriately be questioned by a nurse, or might say, "Hey, help me understand why." you know, this, this, this treatment, uh, this course of treatment, what, what are your thoughts on sort of, you know, yeah. kind of, um, not, not letting the hierarchy cause problems.
1: Yeah. I mean, so it's funny as you as you were talking about that, I'm in Minnesota now. And so there's Minnesota nice and Minnesota nice is that you can be talking about something with someone and they can seem like they're agreeing, smiling. They don't want to offend. They want things to go well. And then it ends up actually, they did, they may not have agreed with you at all. Um, and so now let's put on top of that you have some role of uh, where you're a supervisor or or you have control of resources and you can certainly be in in meetings and situations with individuals where they may agree um, at the front of it, but actually disagree on, on the other side of it. And I think it's very important for leaders, especially within these sort of formal organizations where you have, you know, CEO, VP, director, and as you were saying, department chair and, you know, so on down How how do we open it up so that we can hear the voices, the perspectives of others? Um, You know, another thing that comes up is uh, the uh, ideas of diversity and inclusion, and we can bring lots of really interesting individuals with different backgrounds into our our groups, but are we hearing them? Do they feel safe in speaking up? Mm -hmm. How are we presenting this sort of information? And you you could see how, um, if I had not been at my best and if I had been defensive in that sort of situation, I mean, people in those situations, some leaders can just push through this sort of stuff, but it really can hurt the culture. It can hurt the individuals involved, and honestly, it's—it's it's, I don't think the best way of leading. You get things done maybe in the moment you feel like it, but on the back end, does not work out so well.
0: Yeah. So one other kind of general issue, and you know, you, you write about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts around you know challenges related to burnout in healthcare. Um, you hear a lot about this. If you know anybody who works in healthcare, you see news reports and, you know, it seems like generally speaking that this was a problem before COVID and that in some ways COVID and what we're still going through now has, has, has made it worse. Would you, would you agree with that statement? Like what, what's your assessment of kind of like the, the, the state of burnout and what's happened the last couple of years? Where are we, what are we looking at now?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. I think burnout's always been there. And I think the nice thing now is that we have words to put behind it. And as and so now we can talk about it and we can measure it. I mean, there's things we can ask our, our, our colleagues to figure out whether they're burned out. But, you know, COVID is one of these situations, very intense. There's lots of change. There are things that are going on that are unpredictable. Um, and I think that that does heighten the sense of, uh, of of burnout. As I think through burnout, there's this really, I don't know, this, there's something called so eudaimonic well-being. This is this is what goes through my head as I'm thinking about burnout. So there's hedonic well-being, which is I feel good in the moment. I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a drink, be with friends. It makes me feel good in the moment. Maybe I don't feel so good the next day, but mm-hmm. in that moment, felt, it felt great. And so sure. as we're talking about burnout, we're not talking about kind of the lack of that. What we're talking about is this thing called eudemonic or psychological well-being. And there are six components of that. And so one is purpose. And so the sense of being aligned with the purpose, the values of the organization that you're working with. Another thing is autonomy, in the sense that you are being heard, that you're having an effect on the decisions that are being made. And then another thing is personal growth, that I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday, and I'm learning new things. Environmental mastery, a sense that you have the things that you need, the resources you need to get things done. Positive relations with colleagues, and then self-acceptance. Like you're able to like I made this really bad mistake with these new colleagues. Being able to accept that is quite difficult. Uh Uh You put COVID in there, and you can see how as organizations are responding. um, You know, are we really working in alignment with our purpose and our values here? As you're making this, This is certainly I don't have the resources I need, so environmental mastery may not be may not be there. Am I sleeping well, eating well? I'm working so hard. Personal growth may be put to the side. And you can see how burnout can start to be intensified in those moments.
0: So would you say the signs of burnout, um, maybe I'm thinking about causes and, 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 and symptoms, it sounds like those, those six factors you described, the lack of those might be contributors or causes of burnout? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But then, like when it comes to symptoms, if if you were looking to, let's say, um, you know, a colleague, and and you 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 want to try to be helpful, like they they in some way don't seem themselves. Um, is there a way you know to to bring yeah. this up in a way like that's not so direct as like, hey, you seem burned out, or like like how how what, what can you think of a situation where you might try to raise th- this this concern in a way that's not. Yeah criticizing or, uh, offensive in some way.
1: Right. So I think first, how do you recognize burnout? Right. And so the definition of burnout is a combination of, of three things. And one is that you're emotionally exhausted. And so Mark, if you're working with me and you notice that I'm no, I no longer see my, my joyful self, something seems to be going on there. I don't, I, I just seem to be, have that emotional exhaustion. That may be a sign. Um, Now, we can all have moments of that where we're emotionally exhausted, but not be burned out that, you know, that can come and go in in, given the the day. Um, And then there's cynicism. And there used to be a cartoon I would watch where it was like Scooby-Doo, where they go on these adventures. But there was this guy named Glum that was part of the group. And they were like, oh, yay, let's go on this adventure. And people were like, and Glum was always like, we'll never make it. And then (laughs) Glum's friends were like, come on, (laughs) Glum, be positive. And Glum was like, I'm positive. We'll never make it. And so. You you may see all of a sudden your colleague like change to the your your mm-hmm. friend all of a sudden is becoming cynical about things. This is never gonna work, things aren't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be like going to that dark, kind of sarcastic side. You pair that up with emotional exhaustion, and you start to think maybe this person's burned out. And then then the third thing is that you're just not as effective as as you are. And so you can imagine you're you're glum or you're never gonna make it, you're emotionally exhausted that your effectiveness goes down. And so I think as you start noticing that in friends. I I think it is fair to bring that up. I mean, you're friends with them. Mm -hmm. Like, how are things going? You seem kind of like down. You seem, Mm -hmm. are you feeling burned out? Mm -hmm. And I I think naming that and then having a conversation can be quite helpful.
0: Yeah. Are there, I mean, there's probably, I don't know the clinical terminology, but how similar or are there differences between let's say burnout and depression?
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, Different things, Mm -hmm. Uh, different things. And so depression has its own sort of clinical diagnose, diagnostic stuff, which is you can think that the sort of flat negative affect, there are similarities there. And mm-hmm. certainly people who are burned out uh, can be depressed, mm-hmm. um, but the two may not coexist. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, and I guess, you know, if if in doubt, or somebody is wondering themselves, going to a clinician to help sort that out.
1: Yeah. Going to okay, clinician. A idea. Yeah. Yeah. Especially from a depression perspective. Um from a burnout perspective, you know the nice thing is that we can measure that fairly. You can go online and cir- cir- uh, look up burnout questionnaire and, and find questionnaires and go through that.
0: Yeah. Um so when it comes to burnout and thinking about that like individually or as a leader if this is a problem in your organization. I've 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 heard people um I don't know if that if it comes from a place of of their cynicism or you know there there's there's this complaint of like you know you hear leaders people feel blamed for being burned out. Mm. And they said, well, they're sending us to resiliency training. And I don't think, like, there's this question of like, do I need to be better at dealing with stuff or can we fix the environment that's maybe contributing or causing burnout? What would Yeah, what Mark,
1: you- you're burned out because you don't, you're not resilient enough. You don't have enough grit. Like, right, those are the sorts of the things that, you, that an individual might hear as you approach it. And I think it's important to think about burnout from from multiple different levels. And so, yes, um, if I have not slept well, if I'm not eating well, if I'm not exercising, if I'm not doing all those sorts of things, I am crusty and the world is a crusty place. And am I most more likely to be cynical? Am I more likely to be emotionally exhausted? Yes. And so are there some things I can do? Certainly. But I'm going to go for a run and I'm going to sleep well and I'm going to eat well. And I wake up the next day um, I still feel like the organization isn't aligned with my values. I don't have the things I need to get stuff done. My email box is full. People are being mean to me. Uh, you know, There's a part of me, but there's also part of the rest of the world uh, in there. And so from a, an organizational perspective, I like to think of, so first of all, there's organizational things. Like the organization needs to identify that this is our responsibility. That means the board, senior leaders, all on down. Everyone who's a leader that needs to say, this is not an individual issue. This is actually a systemic organizational issue and just as we're measuring the cost of producing our product as we're as we're uh, measuring uh, the satisfaction of our customer, we need to be understanding the well-being of those that are working with us because we like if you're evil like uh like CEO and you don't care about your minions, you're going to have a bigger turnover of minions. It's going to be more costly, your quality's going to go down. So even from that perspective, Organizationally, you need to be approaching things. And I and I know that um there aren't C, evil CEOs that are listening to your podcast.
0: So just as uh, they, they, yeah, there's yeah, there's probably a certain self-selecting population that's open to or curious about you know hearing about mistakes. No, um, yeah, no maniacal yeah. laughs. Right? No, I yeah. mean, right, because we wouldn't want, yeah, the per, you know, we we don't want quote unquote maniacal CEO. To say um, we're we're gonna have a meeting about mistakes and then and then go fire everybody who admitted making a mistake. We're right, not, it's not that
1: department. That's their you know those emergency, those they're weak. Let's get a new group of them in.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but you see that in some organizations that are dysfunctional. So <laughs> so organizational level is one thing, and then the other thing is kind of the interpersonal, and and that's the way that we're meeting together, and that's what I was that was where my mistake was, and so I heard a problem uh, which was people wanted to be better at documenting. Uh, to be able to serve the needs of patients. And I put my kind of expertise together and this is what I think we should do. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't hearing anything that they were saying ahead of time. I didn't know what they wanted. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so there were a sense of autonomy of like how I wanted to receive my information, their sense of, you know, control, their sense of align with values. Who is this guy who's come from the outside? Are, are they just going to turn us into money, you know, money-making patient, patient gouging sorts of machines. And so From There it's really the way you're running meetings. And so are you including different perspectives? How are you doing that? Are you jumping to conclusions? Are you, are you flexing roles over perspective? Those sorts of things have a big impact. Are we having positive relations? And then finally you get back down to the individual, which is, are you eating well? Are you taking good care of yourself on one side? But then on the other side, there's also, how am I making sense of this? And so I, I see a lot of individuals who feel like they get into the space where they're, they're a victim, and they're blaming the world for it. Yes, the world has a place there. Yes, but on the other hand, how are you, how are you kind of keeping yourself in this spot where you are burned out?
0: Right. And what, so hear, reflecting on that. What I hear you saying is it's a mistake to, to to only blame external factors and to not at the same time. And like I said, there could be problems caused by. Things out of your control, but at the same time, think about what you can do. It might not be sufficient, but it might be necessary and helpful.
1: You don't want a colleague to be burned out. You don't want a colleague to be trapped, and you don't want to be a victim where you have no power. Um, I think there's very few situations where a person has no power. If you're living a life of being burned out, let's say the rest of the world is just wrong and they're not going to change. Given that, given that, now what? What are you going to do?
0: Yeah. So with the now what I mean you know you're the back to the title of of your book again we're joined by Dr Richard Winters it's uh, you know the title you're the leader now what um, that that makes me think of situations and this is not just a healthcare thing I've you know I've talked to guests in this podcast and I have friends and like you know uh, you're you're a great individual contributor and you're put into a leadership role and you're right now what is right. is, is is the question so I mean I'll ask this and it'll be you know may, maybe you know a, a Asking you to generalize and maybe that's unfair, but you know, kind of, you know, you, the the book title seems to imply being thrown into a leadership role. So the question is: Is there enough then formal, let's say, leadership education? Are there expectations being set? Is there mentoring, or do we kind of throw people into the deep end and say, well, some of you'll figure it out. And if you do, you'll get promoted and you'll get thrown into a deeper pool. Versus sort of saying, you know, teaching and saying, well, here's what the role is and not just what to do, but how to be as a leader, like is, is how much of that is really happening?
1: Yeah. And I think both of those. And so, uh, you know, I think a, a, a strong organization is identifying those individuals or who are working well with others, um, pro- producing, you know, driving results, getting things done, that sort of combination. Um, and those individuals that can, can bring groups together and, and make difficult decisions then they become a leader, and and then all of a sudden they're facing just a whole bunch of different sorts of problems, and and problems really where their expertise, the thing that they have done, you know, that the, the famous like phrase, "What got you here won't get you there," starts to come into play. No longer is it you through your your analysis, your expert, your experience, your expertise getting things done. It's now you facilitating and coaching and trying to get the best out of others. And I think that there is there is certainly training that people can take to. To get better at that once they're in that before they get to that position. But I think a lot of it's also while you're in that position, you start to face these situations similar to the face the situation that I faced. And having that kind of like just in time that like right now, how do I make sense of this? How do I learn on the job? How do I become more authentic, feel good in 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 my role? I think there, there's both those components.
0: So so back to your situation, I'm curious then, did you have a quote unquote coach? to go to? Was there an informal mentor? Was it your department chair? Like to to help process and think through what had happened and how and why did you have? Yeah.
1: Yeah, And this combination of all this. So one Mm -hmm. of the nice things is I, you know, graduate train executive coaching. And so there's a whole format kind of a way that I go through as I'm thinking through with others and to do that for myself. And it's not one of those things. A lot of the coaching principles aren't things that you need to go to graduate school for. These are things that you can read about and understand. Like, how do I kind of step away from myself and help myself think through this sort of? Thing? And so, applying that was very helpful. Um, and I had a coach, yeah. And so, and having a coach, and having them help, like. Okay, Winters. On the one hand, I hear you say this. On the other hand, I hear you saying that. How do you put these things together? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you going to move forward?
0: To Call that out, right?
1: Yeah. How can yeah? And, and they have no agenda. Like, their agenda mm-hmm. is just to help me, like, think through that. And then, you know, colleagues, uh, mentorship, reading. Um, mm-hmm. I think all those sorts of things come together. Mm-hmm.
0: So one other thing I was curious about: thing about physicians and then going into leadership roles. How how much, if anything in terms of leadership skills, leadership behaviors is part of formal education, like through medical school and how much of it is absorbed in the workplace, seeing the behavior modeled by others in your residency and, and, and beyond.
1: So there, and the, Ron Heifetz wrote a, a great book he talks about technical versus adaptive challenges. And that's a, I think a great framework. And so technical challenges are those things where like I can, I can learn how to put an IV in a patient. I can learn how to read a spreadsheet. I can learn the parts of the human anatomy. And as I'm, uh, there's some situations where all I need to do is I put those things together and I know what to do. Like I've learned something that then allows me to move forward and get over this challenge. Those things are easy. Um, those are things are easier, a lot of hard work, but, but they're you,
0: easier. They're known, right? They're known. It's known what to do and how.
1: Yeah. Open the book. It'll tell you. Yeah, Um, You have the recipe. And actually, that's so it's like you have the recipe, you open up the cookbook. Sometimes, though, you have the recipe in front of you and the things aren't coming out right. Like, why is this bread not turning out like the bread I'm seeing? And so there's other elements here that are adaptive, which is now how you're putting all these sorts of things together and how you're making sense of the environment, how you're making sense of the world, how you're making sense of your place in the world. And, And so... I can, you know, you can go and like get another cookbook, but you're still missing out on this experience of putting all, all the, the steps together. And I think of that, it's almost like, uh, you know, I get, I have a phone and, and then on the phone, I get a new app and the new app is like a new skill. It allows me to do something, but then the phone, the operating system gets upgraded and all of a sudden the phone can do things in lots of different ways and make sense of the, you know, kind of the environment in lots of different ways that's what this technical versus adaptive are the the adaptive stuff that a leader faces are those things. And COVID is like this, this tremendously, um, you know, difficult adaptive challenge. How are we working together? How are we thinking about each other? How, how, how is like, all these sorts of things start to come together. And and it really pressures us to make sense of these really complex thorny, uh, you know, issues in new ways. Um, expansive ways, and I think we can think back to like when I was like when I was a teenager, I thought about the world differently than I did now. Uh, and there's that, just that growth, and that and that it really is wisdom. That's that's the ability to take in other perspectives. It's the ability to understand it's like to separate yourself out from the situation, and, and and to be able to kind of model the situation as a whole. And so leaders face this, and and uh, good leaders will face these situations work through them, and then come out the better, the wiser as a result of that.
0: Yeah, because it seems like you you can maybe teach principles. Those principles may or may not be embraced, right? Different people may have different principles. There might be some behaviors or some methods, but you, you, you certainly can't train somebody for all of the different possible situations you're going to face as a leader, right? So it seems like there's some element of learning by doing, Coaching—it sounds like you know the, you've learned some ways to coach yourself, and/or finding another coach to help you navigate and learn from your experiences, whether things you've done well or things you might consider a mistake. Yeah, and a
1: lot of this, you know, the skill stuff tends to be binary. It's this or that. It's ones and zeros, and uh, you know, yeses and nos. It's a, a a multiple choice test or a true false test. The the other stuff is really the essay it's the space in between it's the how you're making sense of that and and so i think that it is helpful to have some frameworks that guide you into that space where you're not thinking so binary yes and no but you're able to start to like make sense of things in ways that are are a little less clear um, and come together. Actually, these two things that seem so opposed, actually, they both may be correct and incorrect at the same moment. And how do you think through that? And how do you help teams? How do you help yourself navigate through those sorts of environments? And so while you might not know the answer, um, you, you know how to step back and take a look at the world with a broader perspective and include others in that perspective making.
0: And uh, you, you mentioned Ron Heifetz, who was uh, you know, Harvard. Um, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Like, there's one book in particular um, that stands out: uh, "Leadership on the Line," which I think is a, a really, really helpful, uh, interesting book. So I'm, exactly. I'm glad you mentioned him. But when we talk about leadership, um, you know, and as you write about this in the book, coming into Mayo with experience in other organizations, you know, I think it's different. Probably provides different expect- perspectives than if you had only forever always worked at mayo like coming coming into mayo and as you share in the book what are some of the key leadership differences and, and leadership styles and can you think of something where you would say well yes it was better it is better but it was still a tough adjustment for you just because it was different like thinking of a new operating system ios 16 might be better but it's also different and it's an adjustment
1: yeah. I mean, so just something as simple as, and so so Mayo is physician was uh, physician uh, run on one hand, like, and as a guided, um, but the way decisions are made here is very much from the perspective of what we call dyads or triads. And so it's always a, a physician paired with a nurse, paired with an administrator, the three of them coming together. And so you can just imagine the power of that in terms of looking around each other's blind spots. I, as an emergency physician, think this Talk to the emergency nurse and the administrator they have three different perspectives and that's very much within the organization throughout the organization leadership dyads and triads out before mayo that was not the situation I was kind of like within my group and yes you'd work with the nurses yes you'd work with the administrators but it wasn't so hand in hand and in fact leaders are chosen here based on that ability to work together with their colleagues and so in many organizations uh, in many healthcare organizations let's say, let's say an academic so who's going to be the chair you'd have the departments they'd identify their candidates and then they'd decide who the chair is going to be and then that gets blessed by the higher ups that's not the way chairs are chosen here the way chairs are chosen here are there's a multidisciplinary group physicians nurses administrators on this personnel committee and and they are, they are across and they they cross roles throughout the the organization and they will seek candidates from within the department and they'll look for individuals who are aligned with Mayo Clinic values, who are showing the ability to get things done, who are showing that they, they're, they're out here to meet the needs of patients first and they can, and they can bring colleagues together. And so it, and now it's, so the power source comes like from the organization choosing what's best for the organization, as opposed to let's get winners. Cause he fights for emergency medicine. And, and as you, you take that element out of it it's much 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 more sort of collaborative situation i think those two two things are very big
0: mm-hmm. um so again we're talking to dr richard winters richardwinters.com is we can learn more uh, about him and his book uh, um before we wrap up um you know kind of two questions for you one again i guess related to mistakes um you, what are your thoughts or what would be kind of you know ideal leadership behaviors when Um, there's, there's a clinical mistake or a medical error, you know, something that might possibly lead to patient harm. Like, what are your thoughts in terms of the, the most effective way? What, or what would you want to see in terms of a leader responding to knowing this happened, being told something like that happened? Yeah.
1: And, and so this is a big part of medicine throughout medicine. And so, so what happens when something goes wrong? And the first thing is being able to identify that. And to be able to, so whether that you're measuring that, the rates of something going wrong or, or the, uh, a single incidence and then capturing that. And, and then now, s- so looking at that. And so, you know, going back out to, to burnout, like if we're not measuring it, we're not capturing it. We're not gonna do anything about that. If we're, so that's step number one. And then step number two is this going back to self-acceptance. You're going to a place where, so why are we coming around this? Is Is this to blame and to assign like who's responsible for this? That's that individual level, which is not so helpful um, because we're a part of a group of people. And so the interpersonal interactions, which is a part of a system of the organization. And so really looking at this one bad situation from the perspective of all three of these levels. And and so you bring individuals together in a room, outside the room, and you get different perspectives of what happened. And this isn't for the purpose of calling someone out. This is for the purpose of saying, you know, this was my experience and you, and you get these situations where the nurse said, well, the doctor said this, or the, and the doctor said actually the opposite, like, well, the nurse said this and you have, and that, but that's what happens. We're in, we're, we're all receiving information from our different perspectives and you take all that together and then, and then, and then you start to step out. Like, so what might we do in the future? What are some things we can do? How can we change the system, the process? What can we do right. to support the right. individual? How can we support teamwork in these sorts of scenarios? And so it's it's really quite similar to what any good leader would do in the face of, of a challenge. And
0: mm-hmm. well, I think what you've talked through is good advice for leaders in, in any setting, you know, kind of shifting away from blame to understanding and problem solving and improvement.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can, there are leaders who lead through command and control and power, and this is what I say, and this is what you do. Those organizations do not tend to be so healthy long-term. They don't, I don't believe, tend to be as adaptive long-term. I think we've, we can read in the news about very powerful CEOs um, who are very popular on Twitter or on, you know, the, with the news channels. And then a few years later, all of a sudden, you know, not doing so well. You can see see things spiraling out of control and that personal power only goes for a short amount of time.
0: Yeah. Back to the idea of what got you here might not get you there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we're always changing and evolving and growing wiser. Uh, And that is actually through understanding the points of view and bringing together those points of views of others.
0: Yeah. And, And there's a challenge. I mean, I've run, I've been around and worked for, you know, command and control leaders or command and control cultures, and they've been successful. So the question is, Are you successful because of that? Or have you been successful in spite of it? Like there's this thought experiment that you never get to play out around, well, maybe you would have been more successful with a different culture and a different leadership style.
1: Yes. Command and control could work, work very well in static environments where things aren't changing. When the dynamics start to change, then the blind spots of a leader get amplified throughout the organization. And so what you want are ways of Getting around those blind spots and that are as many different perspectives, and so you can still have a leader who's actually making the final decision. But if they're making that decision based on multiple different perspectives, jumping outside of themselves, um, it's going to be a lot more effective. And so I, I think it's really how you're getting to decisions.
0: Yeah. So I think that gives a, a good transition into I think what will be the last question here. Um, this phrase democratic physician group. And I think it's intentionally, it's small D, it's not political. It's, it's like the difference oh, yeah. between autocratic leadership. And then there's a lot of organizations that would be very participatory, but like you said, the leader still decides, or you might have consensus, but that's not necessarily voting. So in a, in a demo, quote unquote democratic physician group, like, I, I'm just curious to hear a little bit about like what that meant in terms of decision-making.
1: Yeah. So to us, it meant the, the books were open. We can all see what was going on. We knew how much the leaders were making. We knew what, uh, how the decisions were being, ma- were being made. There was uh, really a vote uh, to to have decisions. You know, certainly there were some day-to-day things that it was up to the chair or, or uh, you know, the quality director to, to make. But in general, things are brought back to the group as a whole. And you're sitting around a table um, or multiple tables and you're deciding what's the direction that we want to take. And there's great things about that and there's challenges about that. The challenges about that is um, if you don't have a diverse group of individuals, uh, you know, there's the one blind spot can be just as big as the blind spot of a group of people. And so in in that sort of a, a democratic group, you want, again, as many different perspectives because um, it's just going to help you be better and, and evolve mm-hmm. to these changing situations.
0: Yeah. And and I guess like many systems, um, if if you're committed to it, and you know it might work for it might work for you in that particular setting. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and then there was another wrinkle within medicine, which is there are a lot of groups that are owned by um, large funds and public companies, and there's there can be a sense within those groups that. Um, like, how are, how are we aligned with the incentives of the leadership? And I think there's groups that do it very well, but I think it can be challenging. And so, and so for the Democratic groups, there really is a sense up and down that how decisions are being made and how they're a part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, so a lot of, um, you know, great thoughts on, on on leadership here today. I encourage people to go check out um, the book. It's You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons. Um, from Mayo Clinic. And, and you can learn more, uh, Dr. Richard Winters at uh, his website, richardwinters.com. So thank you for being here and, and, and for, for telling your story, sharing your reflections, helping us think through you know some of these really important issues. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thank you. Well, again, thanks to Dr. Richard Winters for being our guest today. To learn more about him, to get information about his book, I hope you'll check it out. Look for links in the show notes or go to markraben.com slash mistake194. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.